very unusually for me, I have produced notes for this. You actually have them. You'll be able to see if I keep to them. <laughs> You'll even be able to write down notes and make your own report of them afterwards. But the subject today is the thorny problem of temptation. And uh, there is a hymn which is a very old one. And I'm going to read it to you. And it's all about temptation. And if John Davies is around, I saw him earlier. Hello, John. Hello, Dorothy. You'll enjoy this. It's from the Baptist hymn book. And I'm quoting it. And just to bring back memories, it's uh, number 569. Do you remember when we used to stand up and sing hymn number 569? And here it is. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onwards, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Ask the Saviour to help you, to comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you he'll carry you through shun evil companions bad language disdain God's name hold in reverence nor take it in vain be thoughtful and earnest kind hearted and true look ever to Jesus he will carry you through to him that o'ercometh God giveth the crown Through faith we shall conquer, though often cast down. He who is our saviour, our strength will renew. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Ask the saviour to help you, comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you and he will carry you through. called it the thorny problem of uh, temptation because it seems in Genesis chapter 3 after Eve has taken of the forbidden fruit and offered it to her husband and her husband Adam equally has taken of it um, then we read these words cursed is the ground because of you through, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust to dust you will return. The consequence of disobeying God was a curse upon the ground, which caused thorns to grow up all around them, such that now by the sweat of their brow to cultivate and to eat, they had to work their butt off. Every gardener will tell you the same. Every allotment holder will tell you the same. Every one of you who has taken on allotment that has been lying fallow for a while will tell you that the first few weeks are sheer gut-wrenching work. 
pulling up thorns and thistles and brambles and all sorts of things just to get the land ready to sow good seed on. When we become shallow about our spiritual relationship with God and when we become, when we become lazy about it, thorns and thistles grow up around us. Now Jesus came to deliver us from the curse. Hallelujah. He came to save us from our sins. Praise his name. And the thing is that when you and I first trusted in Jesus, the old sinful nature which had kind of ruled us so that we were disposed to sin. That died by faith when we committed ourselves to Jesus. And he gave us his Holy Spirit and he gave us a new life, a new disposition, such that you remember back when you first believed how you woke up and to your own astonishment Something had changed within you because the things which once gripped you and you just said, get on with it, I want it, I'll do it. The stuff you did which afterwards left you feeling, I am a sinner. Those things didn't hold quite the same attraction anymore. And you discovered when those things came your way, to your own astonishment, because the Holy Spirit had given you a new disposition, you didn't want to engage in those things anymore. So Jesus, our Saviour, has come to ransom us from our sins. But Jesus, the same Saviour, says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round your neck than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. But, nevertheless, things that cause people to stumble, temptation, is sure to come. We're in a world where we're surrounded by the fruit of wickedness and disobedience and disinterest in God. Temptation sure to come. So what is temptation? I'm going to read a bit of James and then I'm not going to correct James but I'm going to presume to correct the translation. James chapter 1, verse 14. Each of you, he's speaking to me as well, each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now I'm going to take issue with that translation because it says... You are tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire. The Greek word means strong desire and in one sense it can be translated lusts but not necessarily. It means strong desire. 
Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. So are we trying to say Jesus had evil desires? It's not what the scripture teaches me. It's not the reason God was able to raise him from the dead, because he had lived without sin. So it need not be evil desires that are dragged. The word translated here, dragged, is a word that is used of a hunter, especially of a fisherman, when he uses a lure to get the fish out of its safe hiding place and attract it in the end to the bait and onto his hook or into his net. Those of you who have known me a long time will know that my favourite example for temptation is donuts. Because donuts are delicious, aren't they? Well, most of us will properly think so. I like, I prefer jam donuts, but if they've got some cream in as well, that's an extra bonus. That's fantastic. And the sugar around your lips after you've tasted a donut is just great to finish off with, isn't it? Now, is anybody going to suggest that it is evil to desire a donut? I hope not. I don't believe it is evil to desire a donut. But to be offered a plate of ten and to take a donut and then be lured out of our safe comfort zone where we know that it's prudent to have one and maybe I may have another, but to have a third, and then to say, "Mm, but there's still another seven there, I think I'll have another one. You see the point with the temptation is to leave the safety and to be tempted into a place of danger, where instead of just being a lovely donut and a good taste, and perhaps satisfying an appetite, it becomes greed or even gluttony. And it becomes sin. The original desire in and of itself wasn't a bad thing, but the temptation is to lure it out of bounds to the point of captivity to sin. And that's what temptation does. And the scripture says that is sure to happen to us. There are sure to be things that will be tempting you. There will be different things with different people. And the men won't admit it, but a good many of us, it's the eye for the ladies. Or it's the little tipple. I can't speak for you ladies. But I have noticed... over 40 years of marriage and these candid confessions that vanity is quite a thing and hair is quite important and sometimes jewellery is quite significant and, well, I've said a few things, only said one thing for men, so I'll stop there. But there are things which are perfectly reasonable and good and okay in themselves. But the temptation is to draw them out of safety into the danger zone till they're out of bounds. And we respond to it. Okay, that's temptation. Now this hymn says, Yield not 
to temptation. It's, I love that. It's good, strong, imperative. Don't do it. Don't give in. Yield not. And I notice that when it's dealing with thorns and thistles and temptation and spiritual things in the scripture, there's a lot of imperatives around. There's a lot of strong language. Um, a lady came here a few weeks ago and um, she made it. She had been wanting to come here for a while and she'd made it. She told me afterwards that she had to get up in the morning and take control of herself and say, you are going to go. Get your breakfast over with and get to that church. And she took control of herself. Now, the scripture says, in effect, that if we're going to live holy lives, which we're called to, then we have to deal strenuously with ourselves and with temptation. And piffling around won't work. So, if you don't resist, the thorns will grow up around about you, we read in Genesis. So, to keep thorns from growing up in our lives because we have become casual and given in to temptation and these things have grown up and, and spoiled the soil of our heart so that God can't get through and grow good things in us anymore because temptation, to avoid temptation taking root and that happening, we have to keep ourselves in check and take care with ourselves by the sweat of our brow. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30, this is about agriculture. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed. I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. We are called to follow Jesus, and everywhere around us there are temptations to sin. And when I get up in the morning and when you do, and when we go to bed at night, we have to take note. And a little, a little slumber, a little spiritual folding of the hands, a little bit of this won't matter, that won't matter, I can dabble a bit there, I can dabble about there. And what happens is the sluggard's fruit is a filthy field. The heart gets filled up with all this other stuff because we're not vigorously dealing with stuff as it comes our way. And for some of you, and for me, often in my life, you know what happens. You actually become sluggish as a result in your spiritual life. And the vitality goes away. And you don't want to pray anymore. And you can't be bothered with the scripture. And do I really have to go to church? Because a little folding of the hands and the thorns grow up. We have to be rigorous with our own hearts. Be diligent 
says the scripture, with our own hearts. Then there are things which drove us before we were Christians, which actually were rivals to God, though at the time we didn't know it. They were just, they were just the things which drove our lives, which, um, which uh, encouraged us into action and so on. And the scripture says that when we enter the new land which God has given us, we're to drive out and destroy the old idols. Numbers 33. We read this. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. Now, what were the motivators in your life before you became a Christian? Before Jesus said, put me first. We're told in scripture that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Career is not a bad thing, is it? But is it an idol? What were the things which were the motivators, which were the idols in your life? The things to which you put up your own shrines and devoted your time and energy to before Jesus came along and said, I'm going to rescue from the things which have been trapped and ensnared you. And now I'm asking you, look to me. Take my yoke upon you. Do your life differently. Because the vigorous vigorous language of scripture is if we do not drive those things out they will become a snare to us you know the parable of the um, of the sower and his seed some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked the life out of the seed and what were the what were the thorns the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth the desires for other things, for life's pleasures, in and of themselves. This ain't easy. There are still things that rise up out of my former life which rise up and stare at me in the face. Sometimes they, they, they come sneering at me out of, out of something I'm watching on television or something I oversee or an article in the newspaper or I might be sitting in a cafe or a pub and I see or overhear something and these things from my past come roaring, roaring up at me and said, remember how good that was? Do you remember the pleasures of that sin? Well, we're supposed to drive those things out and be vigorous with ourselves before God. The scripture says we are to not be complacent. 
to keep watch over ourselves and be alert. Temptations are sure to come, so be alert. When they come, don't be surprised or feel guilty about them. You haven't sinned, it's a temptation to sin. So be alert. And you know the stuff which gets you. Each of us has got his own personal weaknesses, our Achilles heels. And I can't look any of you in the eye and presume to tell you what your weaknesses are, but you know. And probably your wives know, or your husbands, or your children. Be alert. Keep an eye open. And go, "Mm -mm, here we go, Lord, again. I'm going to get to the end of the day and trust you, Lord. Keep alert. Because these things are sure to come your way. And then Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 2 talks about breaking up fallow ground. I'm not a farmer, and I hope I've got this right, but fallow ground is when a farmer leaves his land to rest for a period of time. He doesn't cultivate it, he just gives it a break. It has been producing, it's been producing crops X number of years, and now he gives it a break just so the goodness can get back into the land. But with that, there also grow up weeds and things. Before he can sow, he has to break up his fallow ground and plough all this stuff in and get rid of it. Well, there have been seasons in my life when I've just become lazy. And I know it. And other people can see it because they don't see the joy of the Lord in me. And uh, I don't sense it. And I've become complacent. And the weeds have begun to grow up. Well, when by the grace of God his worst finally gets through through to me, and maybe to you, then the thing is we've got to plough that land up. Get out and vigorously plough it up and plough that stuff in and start planting God's word again. Do you read the scriptures? I don't know how anybody knows this, but it's commonly said in books and by speakers these days, that huge percentage of Christians don't. How do they know? I don't know. But it's the word of God that feeds us, isn't it? Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It is the word of God which gives us life. You have the words of life. Where else shall we go? Jesus is the living word. How are we to live for him if the living word isn't becoming flesh in us? Do you read the scriptures? Or have you given up on it because you've read some books about this can't be trusted and that can't be trusted? Then get back to trusting the God who redeemed you in the first place. Get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I remember what you once did for me. These books are telling me this and they're telling me that. But Jesus, I want you. I want you. I want you, Jesus. Is what we sang this morning. 
break up the fallow ground. Start planting a different harvest. Do you pray? Do you know, I used to pray for hours a day. And then I stopped praying for hours a day. And I'm not saying that praying for hours a day is any better than somebody who manages to scramble in a regular 15 minutes because of the, the, the heaviness of their schedule. God bless your, your regular 15 minutes. If it's 15 minutes with God, it's the most precious thing of the day. But then I became complacent. A little bit self-satisfied. A little bit, I know how it goes now. And I didn't pray so much. And other people around me noticed. My wife did. Break up the fallow ground. There comes a point where we have to say, I've got to be rigorous with myself, Lord God. Help me to be rigorous with myself. I want again to be what once you made me. The hymn says, look ever to Jesus. There's an old hymn we don't, it's a chorus really, and it's, you might think it's a bit naff, but I remember it from being a kid. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Well, you sang it better than I did, but you knew the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus in the morning when you go to bed. Dave, remember this. Lift up your eyes to Christ seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Look ever to Jesus, said the hymn. Come to me, said Jesus. I will give you rest. So first of all, for your encouragement of mine, remember, to be tempted is not to sin. Temptation is sure to come, and you will face it this week, and I will one way or another. But that hasn't made you a sinner this week. Remember the temptation is some devious attempt from whatever source to lure you out of your safe ground with God and to lure you into turning an honest, perhaps, desire into something which becomes a dishonest activity or a lust or a gluttony or a lie or whatever but to be tempted is not to be a sin sinner because let's face it Jesus was tempted we're told in every way like we are yet without sin to be tempted is not 
to have become wrong. Jesus is able to help us. Hebrews. I love some of these verses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Do you know what it's like sometimes when you're tempted, you feel guilty, even that the thought is, is attending you. And yet Jesus feels sympathy for us. When we're tempted to feel guilty, just because the thought is trying to lodge itself in us and, and, and make us obey it, when we tend to feel guilty because we've misunderstood it as sin rather than temptation, Jesus, nevertheless, is feeling sympathy. He is not unable to sympathize for our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet he didn't sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is able and he knows how to help. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Now, some temptations are whimsical, I know that. And you kind of say, and some of them grip. Because they touch us at points where in the past where our passions have been. And they grip. It seems silly at that point to pray. Do I? Help, Lord! Screaming from inside you. Help me. I'm so weak, but you sympathize with that weakness. Help me. Now, I don't know how he will help you, but there are a number of practical ways he might remind you of things you can do. I had a friend down in Watchit, and he and I both suffered temptations along similar lines. We talked about it. We were quite close. So we were honest with each other. And we worked out um, a code word. We said, hey, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Uh, he, uh, Joseph, do you remember when he was tempted, he ran away? Let's use Joseph as our code word. And uh, we would email each other every now and then, and out of the blue would come this email. How's Joseph? Are you running these days? We have covenanted together to be a body. You've got people that you trust. It may not be me, but you've got people here that you can trust. You can watch out for one another. And you can keep each other's spirits up. And 
Once when I was being tempted, I rang up my minister and was honest enough to say, help. And I was going through a hell of a time. In fact, I swore quite a lot on the phone because of the stuff that was coming up out of me. And my minister said to me, he says, I'm never surprised at the depth to which a human soul can sink. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd never told him this stuff. And then he said, but I'm even more surprised that the love and grace and salvation of Jesus goes even deeper and rescues you. Well, that was 40 years ago he said that. I still remember it. Encouraging one another to look to Jesus or running away or turning the television off or if you can't turn the television off then go up to the loo for five minutes he is able to help you and temptation is normally won or lost by what goes on in here you know and When our children stubbed a toe or something, it wasn't, he didn't do this if it was a serious injury, of course, but if they stubbed their toe or something, they come running and whining. Mum, I've hurt my toe. And she said, well, think of your thumb then. (laughs) And you know, it's amazing how often when they thought of their thumb, the toe didn't seem to throb quite so much. It never ceased to amaze me, but it works with temptation, you know. This thing is trying to grab your attention. So turn your attention somewhere else and concentrate on that something else. And you can do that whether you're on a bus or in an office or in church or in bed. Remember, temptation isn't sin. Jesus is able to sympathize and he does know how to help us. But call out to him and perhaps it may be the most practical of things which become the means of helping you. But maybe you're sitting here like I have at times and saying, but I have failed so miserably well I kind of know it's stretching a point the thorny problem of temptation but I was reminded that Jesus wore a crown of thorns it was cruelly banged into his skull as part of his sufferings which he endured for our salvation Christ himself has resisted sin and he's carried ours in his own body on the tree. He became sin for us so that we might be clothed with his righteousness when we simply trust him and devote ourselves to him and 
yield up. It always bothered me that in order to receive the grace of Jesus, I had, as it were, to bang in the nails. I know that sounds blasphemous. But you know, in the Old Testament, there was one sacrifice where the people laid their hands on the bull's head and confessed their sins over it. God put your sin and mine, your failure and mine, on Jesus. So when I come to myself and say, God, I have failed you so much, I have, and it seems heretical, but to put it on Jesus. Because he's the one who carries it away and in its place renews us in peace and in the Holy Spirit and forgiveness and acceptance and welcome and renewal. Christ carried the crown of thorns and he was crucified on a cross. So even if you're the failure, you don't have to go home the guilty one today. Because Christ says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. And he's raised to set us free. We sang it, didn't we? I forget the precise words, but the power of Jesus, was it, can break every chain, is that what they say? Remember, Jesus is living. He can break every chain.